Happy Holy Week, everybody. Today is Wednesday, so it is right in the middle. We've had Palm Sunday, and tomorrow is Monday, Thursday, and then Good Friday, and then we wait, and then it's Easter. So what a great week, and I love Palm Sunday. Love it. Like, I am somebody who absolutely likes to fixate on the joy of Jesus Christ. And I feel like Palm Sunday has a whole, whole lot of joy in it. And then I got in a little bit of a fight with my pastor. Not really true, but I called him to vent because we actually are friends. And I wanted him to help sort some stuff out. I'm excited you're here. Holy Week is a all-inclusive, five senses kind of week. So let's dig in and see how we touch on all of those senses. If you are a geek church kid, you grew up going to the Sunday of Holy Week called Palm Sunday. I totally paused there as if nobody knows that, but you you went to Palm Sunday service and if and most of the time everybody got like a palm branch. Sometimes you get like just one strand. Sometimes if you're a super cool church, you might get the whole whole leaf, which is super awesome. But you got some sort of some version of it. Sometimes they made little crosses out of them. Very cool. And fun fact, I'm pretty sure that the pastor of my church takes some of those uh, palms and burns them and then they become the ashes for the following Ash Wednesday next year. How cool was that? Dig it a whole lot. Anyways, and so I super relish in the Palm Sunday of my youth. And that's why I called my pastor and said, I got a complaint. And it really wasn't against him. I'm like, are you too young to remember the super Sunday school version of Palm Sunday where we spent the whole entire service talking about Palm Sunday and waving the palm branches and all the excitement surrounding Jesus's entry into Jerusalem? And he's like, yes, however, he wasn't too young. He remembered that, but he's like, here's the deal. If we don't point to the passion of the Christ, then we're missing the point. Right? Like, touche, that was the perfect comeback. Don't get me wrong. I still want to spend a few minutes having that excitement, but that literally started the ball rolling and the spirit moving for me to come up with what I'm going to say today. So yay, Pastor Brad, for talking it out with me and not saying, Chris, you're an idiot. Um, I appreciate that. So, because I'm not, none of us are idiots. Okay, like that's the whole reason Jesus came riding into Jerusalem to save us. 
And I don't know about you, probably if you are in my demographic, which is, I'm 56 years old, so if you are sort of that boomer generation or I don't even know what my generation is called because I was born in 1965, so I'm typically cut off from the boomers. But that generation, I'm one of the older ones, so we all knew and most of us loved Jesus Christ Superstar. Randy, I know you're listening. You're on Team Jesus Christ Superstar. Susie, I know right now you're probably even singing it because that's what we do. And the moment is when Jesus is riding in and they're singing this song, Hosanna. I would sing and I wish I could because I sing it mentally in my head every Palm Sunday. And I listen to Jesus Christ Superstar during Lent as if it was 100% accurate and true. I say that because Jesus Christ Superstar does a really good job of sort of telling the story of Holy Week, but it definitely takes a lot of theatrical liberties and gets many things a little bit wrong. What I love, though, is I love that it points to Jesus Christ and that they call Jesus Christ a superstar. Like, come on, are you kidding me? Um, did you know your messy death would be a record breaker? Like, that is poetic and true and awesome. So we're singing Hosanna to the highest. And fun fact, I have Hosanna written right on my arm. My beautiful art teacher friend, Shelly, um, did the handwriting for it, sort of quickly designed it in a tattoo shop in Louisiana. And it was one we knew. So, well, I didn't know it because I don't live in Louisiana, but Shelly did. And it was so much fun and so awesome. And I love that it attaches to not only calling out Hosanna to my Lord and Savior, but to an art teacher that I love dearly. Hosanna means save us. It is an expression of praise, but it is also an expression of prayer. Save us now. And like I said, what I really want us to do is to really look at where we were at on Palm Sunday and where we're going Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, all the way to the empty tomb. And so start thinking this week of how it affects you here and now, and maybe how it would have affected you if you were there at that time. And I'm, I always picture myself on Palm Sunday like super excited. I always think like, you know, it's that moment where you went to the parade and you just happened to get a great curbside seat. And so I know I would have been screaming Hosanna in the highest and to see Jesus. But I'm not sure that my brain, even knowing 
the end of the story, even knowing that my Redeemer lives, that my Savior won, that he was victorious over death, I'm not sure that when I sing Hosanna, if I was fully grasping that it is pointing to a save me in a way that led Jesus to the cross. I think if I went back in time, I might be on the side weeping, thinking that Jesus is going to literally get beat up and nailed to a cross because of me. Ouch, 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 ouch. And yet, how grateful I am and how in need I am of this beautiful Jesus who comes riding in on a donkey. And the the scripture, especially in John, if you start off with John 12 and you go to the, I, I think the subtitle is the triumphal entry. And it's about, you know, a paragraph and I'm showing you a gesture of how big the paragraph is with my hands, as if you can see that. But, you know, maybe six inches of that um, column is Palm Sunday. And then Jesus starts to talk about his crucifixion. And that's where Pastor and I were talking about, like, now in church we talk about the triumphal entry, but then we go right into the passion. Because when we scream out, Hosanna in the highest, it points to a savior. It's not just Jesus Christ, superstar, here's our king, everything's great, because it isn't great yet. We're all going to die because we're sinful and sin separates us from God, no matter what the sin is. So, hey, everybody, when you keep pointing out the big sins, shut up. Sin is sin is sin. Like me saying, shut up. That's sinful. Sorry about that. But it's true. Our sins are all the same and we are all going to die. Hosanna in the highest. Like blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like here is Jesus coming in and we're all so excited. But do we even get it? You know, do we even know who this man God is? And I love that. And so I think of, you know, certainly we can hold the palm we can hear everybody screaming. We can see Jesus riding in. And so we've got, it. and I don't know, maybe there was smells of sacrifices happening because it was Passover. And the other thing that when Pastor and I were chatting that I loved is he's like, remember how busy it was when Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem? That's what Jerusalem's like. It's Passover and everybody's coming in for the Passover feast. Like this is a big, big deal. Passover is still huge in the Jewish community because it comes with such great history. And so, yeah, it's so, so crowded. So maybe there was smells of sacrifices and preparation happening. And so there we are celebrating this superstar of a human Jesus. 
And I, I would encourage us all to really ponder Jesus the human and Jesus God as we go into Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter, and still keep thinking about how those how we're going to use all our senses to experience Holy Week. If you think I sound a little sultry today, it's because I have a little bit of a cold. Now that the COVID curve has lessened and we are a little bit more free to be meeting and without masks, boy, our immune systems certainly have changed a little bit, haven't they? And so, yeah, I've got a little bit of a cold, but overall, I'm doing okay. Anyways, I'm not sure how it's going to sound, but I hope it sounds super sexy, like, whoa, listen to her. She's a sexy podcaster talking about Jesus. That seems wrong, doesn't it? But (laughs) kind of hilarious all in one, you know? All I'm saying is let's move on and talk about how we're going to go through. And, And the good news is today's Wednesday, so we've already experienced Palm Sunday and you know, we can maybe reflect on that. But now moving forward, you have the opportunity tomorrow to contemplate Monday, Thursday. When I was little, I used to think it was Monday, Thursday, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But Maundy, M-A-U-N-D-Y, um, is a word that describes Thursday. And I believe it is um, I think it means like mandate, but I've also heard that it is like Holy Thursday. So I'm going to do a little research on that and get back to you. But it basically is describing this very special Thursday, which is when the Lord's Supper happens. And it is all planned out. And Jesus tells his disciples exactly what to do. And everything he tells them to do falls into place exactly like he says. And he is there in this upper room having this meal, this Passover meal with his disciples. And there is where we taste Jesus. And so that meal is being done for Passover And again, if you're a disciple, like, do you get it? Like Jesus has constantly told you that he is going to be sacrificed, that he is going to be killed, but do they fully get it? Or are they just like relishing in the fact that, hey, we just rocked this town with King Jesus and he's going to do some pretty great things. Do they really understand the humiliation and the agony and pain, physical, emotional, the whole nine yards, brutal. Like half the time we we spend so much time talking about the physical part that I don't even know that we even discuss the anguish. I mean, how, how bad do you feel when you sin, right? And now everybody's sin is on Jesus, weighing him down 
mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Ugh, that's awful. But it is Thursday and they are eating the Passover meal. And so have you ever been to a cedar meal? It is the traditional meal. It's a really cool thing. I don't know that you, I mean, you get full because there's a lot of food, but it's definitely not super standard food that you might be used to. So it, it's super interesting, but great stuff. And it's really cool to have somebody show Christ in the cedar meal. I love that. It's just like he's there and all of the signs point to Jesus and it's super duper cool. So that's definitely a taste situation. There's a little bit of smell happening, both good and bad. The The good smell is certainly the food that is being cooked. I'm sure it is the food that they loved and was delicious. And it was probably a meal similar to us eating Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter. You know, this is a holiday that they have and it has such historic meaning to them when um, Moses ate the Passover because the angel of death would pass over every every Hebrew household. And so it was that last plague before they were freed from Egypt. And so good smells there. But probably the bad smells was imagine walking around all day in a pair of sandals in a, on dusty roads, because there weren't sidewalks and roads, um, like paved roads. So your feet are super dirty. And I don't know about you, but I got real sweaty feet. Gross. And I don't think they wore socks. I'm pretty sure. I mean, it's hot. They did. I'm sure they didn't. Um, they probably were lucky enough that there's that their sandals were leather, so probably did absorb some of the sweat. But there's probably sometimes where it just was gross, right? And now Jesus Christ Himself is at their feet, washing their feet. Smelly and gross. Jesus, King Jesus, is washing their feet. That is the ultimate servant doing that because that's what servants do and probably not the the servant that has you know got the tenure or the seniority it's probably you know a younger servant that you know has got to earn his keep so you're the one who washes people's feet and here Jesus is doing that so again you might have a little bit of smelly feet but you also have that feeling of warm water and a warm washcloth in somebody's hands. Now, some people think um, somebody's hands touching your feet would be gross. I love it. I love, I love touch, like hugging people, kissing people, you know, just shaking hands, um, fist pumps, high fives, oh, all of those things. <laughs> I know I'm laughing because my sister Susie always teases me when I give a full on list of stuff, but you know, I just want to give you the full picture. So there's tasting and there's feeling and there's smelling and there's certainly hearing and seeing because those two things we can't help but do when we are present somewhere. You look around and you see stuff, you know, um, sometimes we look around and we get distracted and 
sometimes we hear stuff that we wonder what that means. And boy, are they going to hear a whole, whole lot. Um, Do they get it when he says, take this bread? This is my body shed for you. Drink this cup. This is my blood shed for you. Like, you know, were they putting two and two together there? I, I can't imagine that they were. But we do. And so when we go up to communion on Thursday, that is Jesus's body and blood. And people freak over that because it sounds kind of freaky. And there are some churches that say it's a symbol. um, And there's other brands that are adamant that it is the body and the blood. For me, it is the body and the blood. That's the camp that I'm in because Jesus said it. So I like that. That's typically what I like to hold my standard to. Jesus said it. I'm going to stick with it. And the weight that comes with it, the weight of the cross and the weight of the death that he would die for me, that he sacrificed his body, that he sacrificed tons of blood. And here in this communion wafer and this wine or juice is Jesus Christ. And it is not visible clearly, but that's the power of an almighty God. What happens when those words are spoken over the bread and the wine and when we take it for the right reason It is amazing. And it isn't what we do. It is what Jesus does and did for us. Monday, Thursday, like, wow, that's when you 100% get all of the senses. And so there in that upper room is the first communion. And it's pretty awesome. And then it starts to turn pretty tragic. And I go back to the whole Jesus Christ Superstar thing because, seriously, if you have never seen it, check out the one where John Mayer, not not Mayer, John Legend, I say that every time, John Legend is Jesus Christ. Oh, I wasn't sure if I was going to dig him. And then, like, I am watching and I am, like, literally Jesus. Like, he did phenomenal. It was so good. Anyways, um, it just, it just does such a good, I just love how it depicts it. And I like how you get super excited on, um, Palm Sunday and the Pharisees are so mad. This Jesus must die. And, um, they're just plotting. And I mean, Somehow my brain started thinking, probably because I was on the whole Jesus Christ superstar thing, but my brain started thinking, do you love it when I say that? Because then you get to go inside Chrissy's brain and understand how the hippie Christian works. But my brain went to theater and movies and things like that. And so people like Lin-Manuel Miranda's, is that his name? 
you can tell I'm a big fan, but you know who Lynn manuel is. Um, now my brain is just like, oh my gosh, did I get that wrong? Whatever. Hamilton wrote it, directed it, starred in it, like he wrote his own thing, you know? And the cool part about that is like, he's the whole star, but he clearly is thinking about other people and, and who he would cast and all that kind of stuff. Um, Barbara Streisand in Yento, same story, you know, those Clint Eastwood, when he has directed and produced and starred in his own stuff, it reminded me a little bit of how God has written and produced and directed and orchestrated the whole story. But the thing that God didn't do is he didn't give us the lines to say. He didn't give us the way that we would act like that was all free will on the part of everybody. And so somehow though, God knows, God knows these humans that he created and what would happen. And it's just, it's so amazing. This, this story of Easter and the life of Christ, how, how do you not believe like wowzer? And so Thursday, it goes from Sunday, you know, epic rock star Jesus coming in to Thursday. And I'm sure that the excitement was still there and everybody's digging this whole holiday week. And then it gets ugly. And then Jesus pretty much says, you know, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to deny me. And Peter's like, no way. No, uh-uh, never going to happen. Like I will die with you. Gong. Yeah. Peter, totally fell into that trap. I would fall into that trap. I know I would. I would be a big mouth. And then the minute somebody would be like, hey, you know him. Nope, 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 I don't. You know, I know I'd get scared. And I hope that the older I get, the more solid I am in my faith. But oh, I have been, I've been lame many a times at, like Peter. And Peter, and Peter grew up too. It was awesome how Peter gets to redeem himself. But Judas, he gets mad. He's like, you know it. Like, this is ridiculous. And Jesus is like, just go do it. And so from there, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is going to pray. And he begs Peter, James, and John to pray with them. But what do they do? They fall asleep. And so it's almost like they take a break from all their senses. Sometimes I crack myself up when I'm taping the podcast because I tape little sections and I always name them something. I think I've told you this before, but um, that last section I said, dinner gets ugly. And so before we go from the Garden of Gethsemane into Good Friday, quick, hear the commercial on how I make my podcast. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus's prayer was so intense that he sweat blood. Wow. And he was dealing with some pretty big mental anguish. 
I love the fact that our Savior understands anxiety and stress and pressure and all the things that we go through as a human. He gets it because he was there and he understands that kind of horror. And for some, I know for some people, it's, it's bad. He says, I am grieved to the point of death. I feel like sometimes, and I get a little bit of a chill, and I'm not even joking you when I say that, but my brain says, I think he understood suicide. And not that he was going to take his life, but he knew that his life was going to be taken and he is allowing that. He knew what it felt like to be so overwhelmed to the point of death. I may be way off base with that, but somehow I just know that Jesus's grace and mercy gets it. And he understands it and the compassion that we need for mental health issues is epitomized in the Garden of Gethsemane because he is full of that fear and anguish and anxiety and all the feelings. I mean, he's sweating blood. Wow. And then he relinquishes. And he says, thy will be done. And I think when we say thy will be done, I don't know if we always mean it. And I, I recently worked really hard on a prayer, a prayer that started probably seven years ago. And then I relinquished the prayer because I thought God answered it in terms of just no. And, and so I knew that there was something in there for me and I trusted God, but did I? And, and then something happened that made me think that the prayer was unanswered. And so I went about the prayer in a new way that said, your will be done. And I asked lots of people to pray with me. And interestingly enough, it didn't go the way I thought it was going to. And it made me feel so much of, okay, there's the true test of God's will being done. I need to trust that this answer is a better answer than I would have given myself. And it was. And and sometimes, sometimes it doesn't turn around that fast. But I think lots of times when we look in retrospect, we see that God did have a plan. And sometimes it, it took us down an ugly road, but that's not God's fault. That's typically ours. Like my mom says, God writes straight with crooked lines. We cause those lines to be crooked and God helps straighten them out. And so there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the crooked line would happen when Judas walks up to Jesus and kisses him and greets him. Well, there's a crazy betrayal, right? How about a super passive aggressive betrayal? And let me just tell you, I can be pretty passive aggressive. 
So I get it. But wow, crazy. And Jesus calls him on it. Judas, must you betray me with a kiss? And then stuff starts to explode. So again, I'm going to go back to being a geek churchgoer. I do love church. Um, You meet with people there and you see people and you hear the word and you take communion. So much good, good stuff. Well, on Monday, Thursday, always loved Monday, Thursday, because, you know, you get communion during Lent and that's amazing. And, you know, it just feels good. And then it ends on a very somber note. And so lots of churches will do what they call strip the altar. And they take all the things that are normally adorning the altar and all of the the flowers and the candles and the, you know, the Bible, everything, the the banners, um, everything. And they take it all down and it's just the bare altar and everybody leaves silent because they know what's happening next. And that is where Jesus at the wee hours of the morning is tried. And again, with the conversation that I had with pastor, I'm like, it's just interesting. The people that were screaming Hosanna in the highest are now screaming crucify him. And he's like, actually, it might not have been that same crowd. He said, you know, those are the people that came for the Passover meal. He said, and the trial happens pretty early in the morning. And it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are conducting this. Um, And so they've probably, you know, woke people up that would be on their side. And now that people are even extra crouchy because they, it's wee hours of the morning. And so I thought that was really interesting too. But, But it goes from Pontius Pilate to Herod, back to Pontius Pilate, and then to crucifixion. I struggle so hard on Good Friday because it's tragic and I can't stand it when somebody is bullied. I struggle so bad to watch movies like A Time to Kill or Mississippi Burning. I I can't stand when somebody is innocent that is being treated like a criminal. This was injustice at its highest. Jesus did nothing wrong. We did. And they wanted to frame him. They wanted to make up a reason so that Pontius Pilate would crucify him. And at the end of the day, for the most part, Pilate did it because he was worried about his own politics. 
And that's where you get the hand, the um, saying, I wash my hands of this, because Pontius Pilate says, I wash my hands of the blood of Jesus. Little did he know that he would go down in history for making this decision. And it is a decision that changes the world forever. Good Friday isn't really known for being a holiday in which you're going to necessarily eat or drink anything. It's typically a pretty somber day in the sense that you might go to church maybe at noon or in the evening and hear about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and all that went on in those hours. And it's weird that we call it Good Friday. I always jokingly call Black Friday Good Friday because you get good deals and it's kind of fun and it's so crazy and materialistic that it's the reason Jesus died on the cross. But Black Friday actually sounds like it should be the day that Jesus died, right? Not a day that we get, you know, a TV for $45. But the good is because if Jesus didn't die, we would. And when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I could never wrap my head around that because God doesn't forsake us, right? But he did forsake Jesus because if he didn't, then the penalty of sin and death wouldn't have been wouldn't have happened. And so he forsakes Christ so that Christ could be victorious over death and sin and the devil and raise victorious. And then we would never be forsaken. And so we can say with certainty that God will not forsake us. As it applies to the senses, well, boy, if that doesn't... Um, just hit on how we feel when we hear and listen and picture Christ on the cross. All of those senses are things that Christ felt. Taste, certainly when they put the bitter vinegar wine mixture up to his mouth. Feel, well, there was a whole lot of feeling because he got beat and nailed to a cross and punched in the face and a crown of thorns shoved on his head. Smell. I don't know. I'm guessing people right up in your face screaming at you, these gross men. I call them gross because they were mean to Jesus, but I'm sure their breath was bad. Um, I'm sure when they spit on him, that didn't smell good. I'm sure when his face was in the dirt and there was blood and sweat and all that. Here, the hearing, the cock crow three times when his own disciple betrays him, hearing people scream, crucify him, hearing his mother cry 
Oh, brutal, right? And seeing, and seeing the people crucify him and being on the cross and looking at the criminals next to him and the one asking him to remember him in his kingdom. He says, the other guy is like, get us down from here. And the one's like, dude, we deserve to be up here. He doesn't. And he says, Christ, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Good stuff, right? I don't even know how to fully say experience Good Friday, but to truly ponder what Jesus did and how can we be more like Jesus? Because I will tell you right now, I can't even for a second see myself in his sandals and his crown of thorns in that same manner. I, I, I am way too flawed as a human and don't even have enough in me to go to that extreme. But can I learn from his love and learn from his forgiveness? I mean, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, he was talking about the people who crucified him and he was talking about us. And I think that's so important. I absolutely love how God gives me the words to say when I do my podcast, probably not the silly stuff, but the stuff that makes an impact on you. That's not me. That's all glory going to God. And so with a conversation with my pastor and looking at Holy Week as an all in all five senses kind of let's look at who we mean when we say Hosanna and save me King. And it comes all wrapped in this awesome package in the epistle for the week, which is Philippians two, starting with verse five, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow, that really does capture how we can take this Holy Week and apply it to our lives. And did you catch? How Super Palm Sunday, the end of that Bible verse sounded. 
um, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he saves us all. And the ending is amazing and beautiful. And we can taste it and we can feel it and we can smell it and we can hear it and we can see it. Hosanna in the highest.